Welcome back with Encounter with God. We have a a two passages, two chapters of the Bible to study today. Matthew chapter twenty four and twenty five, and these two particular chapters constitute the second longest sermon by Jesus Christ recorded anywhere in the Bible. Oh, really? Absolutely. And it is out of all of the sermons that Jesus preached, these are my favorites. You know why they're my favorites? Uh, is it because they involve end time events? Yes, and it's all about Daniel and Revelation and Matthew 24 and 25. They all kind of go together. And you love prophecy, huh? And I love prophecy and I love history and there's lots of it right here. But before we dig into it, why don't we have another clue for our quiz? Okay, what city am I? So this is clue number four. Simon the sorcerer, who tried to buy the power of the Holy Spirit, lived in this city. Mm-hmm. Where did Simon the sorcerer live? If you know the answer, give me a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM. It's 1-800-324-843. Text me 0491-064-669. Message me on Facebook, Faith FM Australia. You know, the Bible talks about Ahab living in this particular city and building himself a palace of ivory. Ooh. So imagine, imagine how many um, it would have been, but imagine how many elephants had to die to oh, actually, yeah, no, line terrible. that building with ivory. Yeah, and imagine how much ivory it would take to line a palace. You know, it's like yeah, rather than putting paint on the wall, I'm just going to line it with ivory. Yeah, that would be. You know, Where's this thing now? Well, the fascinating thing is that archaeologists were digging in the area, and guess what they found? An ivory palace. Millions and millions of small pieces of ivory. Oh, that smashed it up. Well, over the years, that's what generally happens. Oh, okay. Ahab lived kind of, you know, 3,000 years yeah, ago. Yeah. <laughs> ivory doesn't last that long. <laughs> <laughs> well, the ivory is still there in bits and pieces, small pieces, small bits and pieces, but the palace is long gone. But once again, mm. uh, the Bible uh, vindicates. You know, they've never discovered anything in archaeology that actually denies the Bible. There's many things they obviously haven't discovered, mm-hmm. but they haven't actually found anything that proves, proves the Bible wrong. Oh, really? They've only ever discovered things that are either neutral, have no relationship to the Bible, which is the vast majority of all archaeological mm-hmm. discoveries, or things that confirm what the Bible says. I don't know why I sound so surprised. I'm completely unsurprised by that, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Why would you be surprised? <laughs> if you're going to be going around doing archaeological diggings, of course you're going to find stuff in the Bible. And the fascinating thing is that only a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of all of the archaeological material that is out there has ever been excavated. Because you know when they deep, you know, when they do that. an excavation, they only you know they just run a trench through the side of a small you know, small mm-hmm. trench through the side of a mound and gain all their interpretations from that. Oh, is that all they do? They don't even do the yeah, whole thing. No, 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 no. Do dig a bit of a trench here, dig a bit of a trench there, make some interpretations, and then go somewhere else. Ah, do you? I was actually thinking about this kind of thing this morning because I don't know if you followed the Google. So less than okay. So if you if you, if you sorry if you excavate a tell right, uh-huh. you would excavate less than one percent of the tell. A tell is a habitation mound. But why wouldn't you do the whole thing? Wouldn't there be like exciting stuff everywhere? Of course, but nobody has the manpower to do that. Archaeology is in, in, in very labour intense. Fair so you, you you excavate less than one percent of the tell. Mm-hmm. Less than one percent of tells have ever been excavated. Wow. And then the majority of the material that is excavated goes into archives and is never interpreted or published. Okay, so the information we get from archaeology is really like just a tiny slither. A tiny slither. Just a tiny slither. I don't know, do, is there like a, a, a great amount of imagination required to create stories behind the stuff that we have yeah, found? Yeah, some, sometimes there is. I mean, you have to admit, sometimes there are massive, massive discoveries like Pompeii. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, even with Pompeii, though, and, and a very, very large amount of that has been excavated. Mm-hmm. But nothing like, you know, some of your big ones like Pompeii or Machu Picchu, you know, only small, very small portions of what is there has actually been excavated. Oh, really? Yeah. It- the rest of it's still under, under um, you know, there's, there's huge areas of Pompeii that are still under volcanic ash. Um, Herculum, which is just down the road from Pompeii, mm-hmm. uh, which actually has more sensational um, discoveries because it's better preserved than Pompeii because it was covered by mud rather than ash. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've just got an area of like, what, an acre or two that's been excavated and it's in the middle of a city and they can't excavate the rest of it because Where would you'd have to live? knock the whole city down to do so. I guess if we dug up everything, we wouldn't have any space for people now. Uh, yeah, well, uh, no, because most of these tells are uninhabited. Not all of them are like uh, um, Herculean, but I can never get my tongue around that, so I say it fast so that 
Since people don't notice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, so there are some that have been extensively excavated, but that's unusual. And then, of course, the vast majority of material from archaeology doesn't last. You know, your stone, your ceramics, um, very little of wood, you know, and mm-hmm. very little of metal actually lasts. Mm. And so you make your interpretations based on just a minuscule <coughs> amount of, you know, um, information that there is available. And yet there are over, over 100 individuals in the Bible that have been confirmed through archaeology just with the tiny amount that has been dug up. That does actually make me uh, quite happy because um, – like I was saying before, I don't know if you follow the Google Doodles. So, you know, when you open up the Google page and there's usually like a, a little cartoon and it's celebrating something from history or some sort of special day. Like on Mother's Day, they'll have like a special Mother's Day cartoon and that kind of a thing. Okay. And, uh, and so today's Google um, Doodle is actually <clears throat> of Maria Riesch. Uh, she was a German archaeologi- arch- archaeologist um, who uh, did a lot of research and um, and had success in uh, the preservation of the NASCAR lines in Peru. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and this is like back in the day. This is like, um, like back in the 1940s or whatever. But I often like look at these amazing discoveries into archaeological stuff and I wonder to myself – I would love to have done that, but I feel like there's nothing left to discover. <laughs> but maybe there is a bunch left if we were. Oh, there's doing so like much. 1%. Yeah, there's so much more. I mean, you know, just right there in, in uh, Machu Picchu, there is just um, you know probably hundreds of acres that have never been dug up and and had the uh, jungle cleared from them. And as you go exploring around a place like that, you just sort of reach the end of the ruins and you just come to a point where it's just jungle and the jungle just takes over from there. Do you think there is like other NASCAR lines or Machu pictures out there that haven't been discovered yet? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, That's no cool. question. Yeah. We are so off topic right now. We are way <laughs> off. I don't know how we got so way <laughs> off topic, but how it's an interesting topic it because is, it relates yeah. to the Bible. You know, you can go through the Middle East and there are habitation mounds, tells all over the place that mm-hmm. have just never been touched. Wow. Okay, just just yeah. lying completely untouched. We have no idea what, what the name of that city was or any of the history behind it. Um, as far as archaeology goes, etc., it's just never been touched, and there's so much out there yet to be discovered. And yet, we find atheists who make all these confident statements all the time, like, "Oh, this never happened, and there's no evidence for this, and there's no evidence for that." Well, just because there's no evidence for something doesn't prove a thing. Mm, that's right. You know, it just hasn't been discovered yet. Mm-hmm. It, uh, yeah. Anyway, how did we get started so on arche- that? Archaeological constantly proves the Bible true. Yeah, but how did we get started on that? Because you, uh, I don't know, you were saying that like. Archaeological has never proven the Bible wrong. Okay, so, sorry, sorry, sorry. Anyway, whatever. I don't remember why we got started on that, but I'm going to talk about more about archaeology. Let's go to Matthew 24, and why don't you read for us verse 1. Matthew 24, verse 1 says... Because this, I'm going to talk about something that has been discovered. Okay. Mm-hmm. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. Okay, so why were they pointing out the temple buildings? Of course, they were pointing them out because this was the pride of the Jewish nation and it was one of the wonders of the ancient world. This was just sensational building um, that completely dominated the city of Jerusalem. And if you go there today, one of the best tours that you can do is to tour the Western Wall Tunnels. So the Western Wall was the retaining wall for the temple in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, it was made out of you know large blocks of stone, and of course, when uh, the city was conquered and when Islam moved in and built the Dome of the Rock, you had lots of people who wanted to build their house where they had a good view of the Dome of the Rock, but it was very very high, mm-hmm. and they were down on street level, and there was this massive retaining wall, and so they put all of these arches and tunnels over the top, and then built their houses up there so they could be on the same level as the Dome of the Rock, you see. Uh-huh. And then, of course, all that was forgotten about and covered over by rubble and and uh, filled up with you know various things and used as a sewer and goodness knows whatever Ugh. else okay. for many, many years until it was rediscovered, and they were able to go down there and um, clear out all the rubbish and excavate, do archaeological excavations there so that they can actually get back to the foundations of this particular retaining wall. Mm-hmm. And you should see the size of some of those stones. Oh, really? It is just mind-boggling how enormous they are. Wow. It's, okay, so think of a stone uh-huh. twice the size of this studio. Are you serious? Oh, absolutely. How they even lift that? I don't know how they lifted that. Uh, you can even find a place where they had to actually carve into the bedrock and they've left some of the original stone there 
which is quite fascinating. So this was a building that was just beyond imagination. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. So this is the building that they're looking at. And then Jesus says something in verse 2. You got verse 2 for us there? But he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth. They will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Okay, so when Jesus gives this particular prophecy and they're looking at this massive temple and we just get a faint reflection of it when we look at the retaining wall. Mm. Uh, and it's just like, no, surely not. I mean, these are buildings that were built literally to last for thousands of years. Do you think they were like a little bit offended? Can you imagine like having like a tourist come visit you in Sydney? And like, oh, check out the opera house. And they're like, yeah, it's going to be destroyed. Yeah, down to, the, <laughs> down to its foundations. You'd be like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> look, at that, look, at our, look at our great big coat hanger there. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be smashed. You know, someone's going to throw it into the It would have been a day. startling response. It would be. Mm-hmm. It would be. Particularly, you know, your your opera house and your harbour bridge and so forth have been built and designed to last several hundred years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These were buildings that without human intervention would still be standing today. Wow. You know, we've got other buildings of uh, similar calibre mm-hmm. from, you know, even 500 years to 1,000 years earlier than this mm-hmm. that are still standing today. Wow. Wow. So this is, you know, if, if humans hadn't smashed it down, it would still be there today and it would still be magnificent today and it would be one of the wonders of the ancient world. So he makes a, he makes a, a prophecy basically. So he's like, yeah, um, not one stone standing on top of another. And for the disciples, the, in, when they're thinking about this, the only thing that they can think of in their minds, the only thing that would ever bring this down would be the end of the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, nothing else would be just dramatic enough to bring this building down so there's no, you know, of course in their minds as well, well, you know, the, the temple has to stay there because their religion has to stay there until the end of time. And so if the, if the temple and their religion is going to disappear, then surely that's going to be the end of time. And so in verse 3, they ask a couple of questions. What are they? Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? So they definitely think that the demolishing of the temple is basically Armageddon. Yeah. Yeah. So when will this happen? In other words, when will Jerusalem be destroyed and the temple be destroyed? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? Mm. Jesus answers both questions together. And the fascinating thing is that if you go through the first 20-odd verses of this particular chapter, every single verse applies both to the destruction of the temple and the end of the world. Ah, okay. All right. Yep, yep. So you can read here. It goes on. Um, Jesus says in verse 4, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And so you've got this whole situation where before the destruction of the temple, there were false messiahs that were rising up and saying, yes, we're going to throw off the Romans, we're going to have a great war. And of course, the Romans came through and destroyed the temple. Uh, You've got the same thing happening today. Then it goes on, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and diseases and earthquakes in different places. These things all happened in the lead up to the destruction of Jerusalem. We know this from history but they will be fulfilled on a much greater level at the end of time and on a global scale. That's the difference. So Matthew 24 is about the period of time before the destruction of Jerusalem and then also about the destruction of, I guess, the, the, the world and you know before the end of time. Absolutely. That's very interesting. Absolutely. And, and so the people living at the time of the destruction of Jerusalem were able to follow these signs in the same way that we can follow these signs today. And so reading this chapter, we, I mean, this is often the chapter when, when something's happening in the world today, we're like, oh. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, you'll see yep. that it was prophesied. It was Matthew you know, 20, yeah. Every time we open our news and go like, yeah, what are we going to talk about today? It's like, yeah, well, there's a bunch of Matthew 24 stories here. But exactly. we can't do Matthew 24 stories every day, so let's try and find something different that needs to be reported on, on Christian radio. Um, because if we do Matthew 24 stories every day, which we could. Because then, it's, uh, it's happening thicker and faster, really, isn't it? And this is the whole point. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, if you read what it says here, you know, wars, rumors of wars, famines, disease, and earthquakes, those things have always existed in our world, isn't that so? Yeah, true. And so you could say that, well, big deal. You know, they've always existed. There's never been a time in the in the period of Earth's history when these things have not existed, unless you go back before the time of sin. Mm-hmm. So because these things have always existed, then what's so special about them? Why are they a sign of the time? Well, they're happening like they've never happened before. It's like they're yeah. happening on steroids. Like keys in verse 8. Key 8? Okay. Keys in verse 8. Let me read verse 8. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Mm-hmm. So there's more to come. Mm-hmm. Birth pains. There's your clue. Oh, this analogy. There's yep, a clue. Okay, yep. Tell me about birth pains. Well, once you're pregnant, there's nothing really that's going to stop you from like, like once you're in that, you're in that. But as you get closer to birth, your pains get faster and more intense and with greater regularity until the birth happens. Absolutely. So four things that we need to note about birth pains. Mm-hmm. Number one, when they start, they're fairly mild and they increase. Mm-hmm. Number two, when they start, they're kind of far apart and they get closer together. Mm-hmm. Number three, once they start, you can't change your mind and decide to have your, birth, your, your, your baby next week or the week after. Uh-huh. And number four, while they are very painful, there is a, a very great blessing and great joy and happiness at the end. And Jesus says the signs of the times are like that. They're going to start far apart and get closer. They're going to, um, they're going to start fairly mild and get more intense. Um, you're not going to be able to stop it, and there will be a blessed event at the end, which is the return of Christ. And do you know it's actually reading? I know Matthew twenty-four. A lot of people get scared and they get spooked because it sounds kind of scary, right? Talking yeah, about yeah. all these natural disasters and horrible things that are happening. In the, the Bible state says, of "Evil men shall." In the old English, it says, "Shall wax worse and worse." Yeah, exactly. Now that's got nothing to do with waxing a surfboard. Yeah, <laughs> it's old English for they will become, they will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The closer we get to the end of time, so people people can be quite frightened by this chapter. But actually, I find this chapter gives me hope because it's been prophesied. Jesus know knew this was going to happen, but he's still in control. Yeah, and so if you take if you take what you have here, for instance, and you put it on a graph. Mm-hmm. You would expect that once you reach the end of time, you're going to have a J curve where any one of these events is going to start curving up on that graph, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so down through history, we have had, always had wars and rumors of wars. Mm-hmm. If you go back 200 years ago from now, wars, the, the majority of people who died in war were dying as the result of um, trauma created by metal objects, as in swords and bayonets Mm -hmm. and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, These days, of course, wars are fought in your living room playing a computer game, flying a drone on the other side of the world. That's true. That's a pretty dramatic increase in just 200 years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 200 years ago, wars were being fought much the same way that wars had been fought for the last 6,000 years of the history of this world. There was a slight increase in technology because you had the use of gunpowder, but it was not significant. In fact, uh, the longbow was a much more effective weapon than the um, guns and rifles that they had from 200 years ago. It was just much harder to train the troops in, which is why they went to uh, to using gunpowder instead. Mm-hmm. And the longbow, of course, has been around for you know, the last 6,000 years. So the most effective, you know, long-range weapon that there was was unchanged two hundred mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. Now we fly drones from our living room, yeah, and, and and kill people without even seeing them or looking at them um, on the other side of the planet. So we can definitely say that that war, that these birth pains have gotten. Oh, that's yeah. a massive dramatic increase. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you got more people dying as a result of war in the last hundred years than the rest of the history of the world combined. Mm-hmm. It's just. You know, it's, it's, it's an increase that is completely out of all proportion of anything that we see in history that has ever taken place ever before. Okay, so we, we can look at the other, um, other ones here as, you know, famines, earthquakes, and diseases. And once again, put these on a chart sometime. See what kind of a, a graph it makes. It is always going to make a steep J-curve going up over the last 200 years. I feel like, you know, all these events, you know, uh, earthquakes, famines, diseases, uh, even wars, you know, when I, I feel like that when I was a kid, you know, like 30 years ago, 
there was like you knew of like one happening, but now I feel like there's so many of them. Like mm. you, you can't even keep tabs on them all. And think of okay, so think of think of the number of diseases that we have today that we did not have just fifty years ago. Mm. You think about that for a moment while we take a break. Casting crowns, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. A good thing to be doing while you read passages like this. in Jesus just to take him at his word just to rest upon his promise just to know thus saith the Lord Jesus Jesus how I trust him Everybody, uh, that was casting crowns. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. We're talking about Matthew twenty-four, and the, we are talking about some of the amazing prophecies that there are here. And we could talk about these ones all day long because they're happening around us all the time. Mm. And it's so funny that we should play "Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus" because it's definitely a chapter of the Bible that you know it makes you want to trust in Jesus. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Because this is a chapter of hope and it's joy. We've just covered some of the uh, pretty heavy stuff that has been taking place right at the beginning. But you go further down in this chapter and you've got verses like this. You know, uh, verse... They shall see the... Verse 30, middle of the verse. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his righteous from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Mm-hmm. And then it goes on and says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree when his branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves. You know that summer is near. So likewise, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Truly I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things are fulfilled. Even verse 25, which says, See, I have warned you about this ahead of time, speaks of God's love. You know, in, it does. In all this you know, terrible stuff that's happening, um, you know, God warns us. He lets us know ahead of time. 
It which just tells about his character. Can you imagine if we had no idea this was all coming, it was all happening? Imagine. Imagine mm. this for a moment. Imagine mm. if you were looking out at the world right now and looking at the history of the last 200 years and you had no idea that God existed, you had no idea that God was coming, you had no idea that it was all going to come to an end, you had no idea that God was ultimately in control and you were just wondering, where is humanity going? I have, oh, I have never terrified. ever had that experience. Mm. But a thinking person would actually be terrified and of where our world is uh, is heading, and, and it's no wonder that you know the greatest pandemic that our world is facing right now is mental illness. Mm. Yeah, you know, because our world our world is a mess, and there is no hope. Whereas God comes along, He's like, "No, I'm giving you hope. I'm telling you, when you see all this, it's like watching a fig tree bud. You know that summer is near. You know that uh, my return is near." And I think I think I think this is sort of bred to different kinds of people you have like you said the thinking people who look out and they sort of you know they weigh up everything that's happening everything that's going on and it and they find it you know they find the situation hopeless and they get depressed and then i think you have the other kind of people who like they don't want to face that truth they don't want to think about it you know they just bury their heads in social media and they're they're looking at their memes and they're just you know just rather go watch movies and sort of distract themselves from like the blaring um truth of what is happening in our world. Like the world is, you know, essentially going to hell in a handbasket, as they say. Like the world is just disintegrating in every in every regard, um, especially when it comes to, um, you know, uh, the way humanity treats each other. And we're all aware of it, but some of us, we have, you know, I feel like we have three people, three types of people. We have the people who are aware of it and don't know what to do because they don't know God, the people who just don't want to face it, they want to be distracted. And then you have the people who can, you know, look forward even the future seems dire. They can look forward with hope and with joy because they know that this stuff was going to happen. They've read about it in their Bibles. They know that this is God looking out for them, looking after them, telling them, you know, how to get through this. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think there's another generation out there that uh, are completely oblivious to it mm. and just mm. really, you know, you're just your average sheeple. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm just quite satisfied entertaining myself on social media and, Mm-hmm. And uh, obliviously let the world go past. You know what the population of our world was in the time of Christ? What? 250 million. Is that all? Yeah. Less than the population of the United States, the whole globe. Wow. Did you know that to get from 250 million uh, to 2 billion, mm-hmm. you know how long it took? No. 1900 years. That's not much. Nineteen hundred years gets you to two billion. You know how much it took? How long it took to get from two billion to four billion? How much? Seventy-five years. Are you serious? Do you know how long it took to get from four billion to six billion? Oh, go on, scare me. Twenty-five years. No way. Um, and it took just another nine years to hit the seven billion mark, and of course, we're still rapidly climbing from there. And that is exponential. Yeah, so um, it, it, you know, by the year 1900, the population of our globe, our entire globe, was only 2 billion people. Mm-hmm. Now it's 7 billion people. 1900 was not that long ago. Yeah, that was like just around the corner. Yeah. Wow. Um, so that tells you something because, you know, living space on our planet mm-hmm. is limited. Mm-hmm. And any population that you see in uh, nature that overpopulates mm-hmm. – then rapidly dies away. We've seen that in Western New South Wales, just you know, in the last uh, over the last summer, where you had a massive overpopulation of kangaroos mm-hmm. that then all starved to death when the uh, drought came through and the heat came through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, whenever you let a population of something overpopulate, it's followed by a massive collapse. Okay, so what do you think the answer is? Because you're beginning to sound a bit like Thanos. You know, snap your fingers, half the world dies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, maybe he maybe he's got a plan. <laughs> going to have no, all the events. The Bible is me. the Bible is uh, the Bible is very very clear about how God is going to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. God is not going to solve this problem by um you know just like a, 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 a Thanos kind of thing where you just randomly kill, you know, you know, it's completely random. The Bible says that God is not going to let nature take its course and just horrific things going to happen, God is going to end it. Mm -hmm. And when we look at our world, we know that the resources that are running our world are finite resources Mm -hmm. and that our world cannot continue. Anybody who is a thinking person knows that our world cannot continue as it is right now. Think about this. 
oil is a non-renewable resource, right? Mm-hmm. It's something you dig out of the ground. Once it's gone, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Do you know how reliant we are on oil? Do you know how much oil it takes for you to eat a plate of food? No. Eight times the weight of that plate of food in oil. Are you serious? I'm absolutely serious. That's the whole process because we have such a processed uh, society where everything is processed to the max and you've got plastics that are made from oil, you've got communications that are made from oil, you've got vehicles that run on oil. It takes eight times the weight of that plate of food in oil for that food to be on your plate. That's astounding. Mm-hmm. And oil is a finite resource. We're going to run out of that. Yeah, one day we will run out of it and uh, the uh, technology age and the information age will be just a blip oh, in the wow. history of our world and we'll all go back to living as we were 200 years ago before oil was being used. Which means no more iPhones. Yeah, and of course you combine that with the population of where the population of the world will be in 100 years from now and it tells you our world as we know it, cannot continue. That is impossible. Mm-hmm. So we know that great and dramatic and decisive events are going to be faced either by ourselves or by our children, mm-hmm. most likely by you and I. Mm-hmm. And we also know that when the Bible says, when you see all of these things happening, know that it is near even at the doors and this generation will not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. You just distracted me with the thought that I might not have a phone one day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. By the time you don't have a phone, I think the Lord will have come back and we'll be able to invent something a little bit more with a little bit more um, service coverage than your phone. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Because your phone at the moment, yeah, it has good service sometimes and sometimes it doesn't and sometimes you can contact anywhere in the world and a lot of the time you can't contact places that you want to contact but – Um, we're going to be able to invent things that will contact anywhere within the universe. Well, this has been a very interesting study um, of Matthew 24. I think, are we going to continue with this tomorrow? We are. Matthew 24 and 25 all week. Matthew 24 and 25 all week. So stay tuned. We're going to have a very interesting week this week. We're talking about uh, end time events as detailed in Matthew 24. Give Matthew 24 a read tonight before you go to bed. It's not a long chapter, very interesting one. And get ready for more um, more insight. And of course, join us, 20 million other people doing this study at the same time that we are. But now we're going to have a song. This is Fernando Ortega, Let the Words of My Mouth. And we'll be back with a question of the day. If you have a question, give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM. We can answer that for you on air. Let the words of my mouth be pleasing to you.
to Faith FM Australia, listening to 87.6, 87.8 and 88 FM. I am going to give you the last clue. Hi, my name is Luca. I go to Townsville Seventh-day Adventist Church. We would love to have you join us on Saturday at 9.30 for Sabbath School Kids Program and then the main service at 10.45 a.m. For more information, Google Seventh-day Adventist Church, Townsville City. Every single time without fail, either Lyle or I will start talking when that ad starts playing. Anyway, I think tomorrow we should have it I'm after. so glad it was you, not me for a change. Yeah, for a change, yeah. I think tomorrow we should do that after our um, question of the day segment. Clearly, we're not learning. Anyway, I'm going to give you the last clue for our quiz. So get your phones out. 1-800-FAITH-FM, 1-800-324-843. Get ready to tell me the answer. This is the most obvious answer. I mean, sorry, obvious clue. It is our final clue. What city am I? The Good Samaritan was from here. Samaritan mm. being the main word you want to work with there because Samaritan tells you where he's from, just like you would say an American is from America. Samaritan is from... Yeah, give me a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM if you know the answer. Yeah, that one's pretty obvious. Where is the Good Samaritan from? Okay, we have the question of the day, which um, is from uh, my housemate's mate. And uh, he asked this question the other day when he was visiting us. And it is actually a very good question. And, um, you know, it had me thinking as well. And uh, this question goes like this. Okay, so it, it's the government that decides whether or not an organization is a religion or a cult. So doesn't that just mean that all religions are really just cults? And what really is the difference between a religion and a cult anyway? Yeah, good question. Okay, first of all, the government doesn't decide what is a religion and a cult. Oh, it doesn't? No, the government does not make that classification. Okay. Um, and so, you know, here in Australia we have religious liberty. Um, we, we practice religious liberty. We don't have it enshrined in law, but we practice religious liberty. And so people have, you know, the liberty to choose to be part of a religion or part of a cult, etc. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for a definition, it's actually quite hard to define what a cult is. And there are a number of definitions out there for what a cult is. The most popular cult is that it is a social group with socially deviant or novel beliefs and practices. Okay. Okay, so you're looking for something here. You know, a cult is typically something that is destructive. So you've got doomsday cults, political cults, destructive cults, racist cults, polygamous cults, terrorist cults, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, a cult is usually um, a small group that uh, has you know, socially deviant or novel beliefs or practices. Within Christianity, uh, particularly in the past, we have... Uh, used the definition of um, a cult is a religious organization that has an extra-biblical source of authority. So this is obviously a cult within the context of Christianity Mm -hmm. because outside of Christianity, all of your religions have an extra-biblical source of authority. So within Christianity, a Christian cult would be something that has an extra-biblical source of authority. In other words, they don't take the Bible alone as their rule of faith and practice. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for instance, um, you know, typically uh, the, the Mormons have been labelled a cult because they have the Book of Mormon that they um, put in there as their, their, you know, their rule of faith and practice. Of course, with the Jehovah's Witness, they're often labelled a cult because of the Watchtower. Mm-hmm. Um, those are two large and well-known um, organizations within the context of Christianity, in other words, within the context of religions that use the Bible. I'm using that term very, very loosely there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then even that becomes a bit of a gray area because then we have to stop and say, well, the largest of all Christian denominations is the Roman Catholic Church and they have tradition equal with Scripture. Mm. So where do we actually go with that? Um, really what it comes down to is that... 
Um, we need to understand exactly who we serve and why we serve Jesus Christ for ourselves. We need to follow Jesus as our example and follow the Bible and the Bible alone as our only rule of faith and practice. That's where safety is found. This is Melissa Otto. Enjoy the sunshine. We are now going to give something away. Mm-hmm. And what is our freebie today, Mon? Okay, our freebie today is a book called Cracking the Code Behind Enemy Lines. By oh, e. that's White. Mm-hmm. interesting. Let me read the back um, because this is very much to do with what we're talking about today in our encounter with God. So it says, why so much evil? Rapes, killings, terrorist attacks, drive-by shootings, catastrophic disasters by land and sea appear to be universal and are far too common and are happening in quicker success than ever. Today, we and our children have become hardened to these almost unthinkable and unbearable atrocities and disasters. Cracking the code pulls back the curtain on this on the origin of this evil and why it is escalating. You say, hey, don't talk to me about these terrible problems we're facing. I don't need to be told again and again what I already know. Tell me, how do we stop this deadly disease that is sucking the lifeblood out of... Um, our country and the rest of the world. Cracking the Code answers this billion-dollar question and more. This book provides a solution, the only solution that works. Cracking the Code will take you back to the very beginning, to the root of the problem, where it all started. You'll be taken behind enemy lines and crack this top-secret code. Then it's completely up to you to make the ultimate difference, the only difference that can and will change our children, family, and friends before it is forever too late. Okay, and of course, on the front <laughs> front of that cover, you've got a picture of the uh, 9-11 attacks on the Twin Towers in New York City. Yes. Did you know what the author wrote about this uh, no. well over 100 years before those events took place? No. She wrote this. When I was in last, last in New York, this is 1904, before the invention of the skyscraper, by the way. Mm-hmm. When I was last in New York, I was in the night season called upon to behold buildings rising story after story toward heaven. In then the most costly material was used. 
The scene that next passed before me was an alarm of fire, but these buildings were consumed as if made of pitch. The fire engines could do nothing to stay stay the destruction. The firemen were unable to operate the engines. In the night I was, I thought, in a room, but not in my own house. I heard explosion after explosion. I rose up quickly in bed and saw from my window large balls of fire jetting out were sparks in the form of arrows, and buildings were being consumed, and in a very few minutes the entire block of buildings was falling and the screeching and mournful groans came distinctly to my ears. Wow. That was hundred years before, over 100 years before it happened. So it was a, basically a vision of it. Yeah, so I would definitely get that book there. Call in uh, 1-800-324-843 or text us 0491-064-669 or shoot us a message on Facebook. Be the first one so that you can secure your copy of Cracking the Code Behind Enemy Lines by Ellen White. We only have one copy of this book, so be quick. 1-800-FAITH-FM is the number to call. Thanks for joining us this morning. We'll, of course, be back tomorrow morning after the 7 o'clock news. And if you're listening to the delay broadcast, if today is not Tuesday, just jump across to the live show. Just go to faithfm.com.au or download the TuneIn app. Oh, soul, are you weary in trouble? No light in the darkness you see. There's a light for a look at the Savior And life more abundant and free Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in His wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strange with Him In the light of His glory Oh, mm-hmm.